I feel very comfortable right now. If my wife called me, she's coming to Augusta to visit grandchildren. It's 2 a.m. and she wants to go snap her picture with the James Brown statue. statue. Go on down there. I, I feel pretty safe around here. Thanks for tuning in to the Drop the Disc podcast. Today's episode is an emergency episode. It's unscheduled, but we wanted to talk about an issue that's been going on in the Augusta area recently, and that's been the gun violence. We've seen it happen downtown, and we wanted to know why it was happening and what people can do to look out for themselves. So today we brought on a familiar face, Deputy Chief Patrick Clayton from the Richmond County Sheriff's Office and his friend, Chief Randall Beach from Pickens County. These two are on the front lines of dealing with this crime. The biggest problem in Augusta that I see that Chief and I have talked about relates to stolen firearms. And so we talked to them about what people can do to look out for themselves. What I will tell you is that for the average person that comes down here that wants to get a drink and get a meal, they usually are not gonna have any kind of problem. Now, all of our episodes are sponsored by Nancy Powell of Powell & Associates, but as this is an emergency episode, you won't hear any other ads today. Look out for our normally scheduled Augusta Rocks episode, which will come out in the next couple of days with low moves. And if you have anything going on in Augusta that you want us to talk about, email us, dropthedispod at gmail.com. It's just another day on the road to be great. Got a list full of goals and so much on my plate. Another episode of my life to the date, yeah. And I'ma do it all with a smile on my face. In the land of the free, at yeah, the home of the brave. The only way you grow is if you learn from mistakes. And never stop the hustle, gotta keep up the pace. I ain't got time to waste, I got moves I'ma make, yeah. It doesn't matter what the topic is. We gon' talk about it on Drop the Disc. We can dive in on city politics. Or I can brag about my accomplishments If you hating on the city, it is not a fin Problem is that you're probably lacking common sense Augusta got so much talent that'll make it big And you gon' see in here first, don't drop the disc Ay. Learn a lot about the 706 About to chop it up with David and Chris A lot of interviews you would hate to miss AUG in the mix, just drop the disc uh. Learn a lot about the 706 to chop it up with David and Chris. A lot of interviews you would hate to miss. AG in the mix, just drop the disc. Just drop the disc. Better drop the disc. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey guys, I'm David. We are Drop the Disc Podcast. We are bringing you a very educational, time sensitive episode that is definitely needed for the public. Yeah, we don't usually do current events kind of stuff, but we're. We're kind of doing an exclusive. We want to do some education. Like Chris mentioned, we're filming this on election day. So we're all civically minded right now. And uh, so we have some questions. We've got some really cool guests in here to talk about them. We have a returning guest, and that is Pat Clayton. Welcome back. <laughs> Good to be back. Chief Deputy Patrick Clayton from the, uh, from the oh, let me not, re- Richmond County Sheriff's Office. Augusta, Richmond County. Augusta, Richmond County. Sheriff's Office. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I kept messing that up last time. The Richmond County Sheriff's Office. There we go. And sitting to your right, we have... Randall Beach. And Randall, real quick, just a little background of where you work and what you do. Uh, Right now, I'm the chief of police in Pickens, South Carolina. Just a little small town. Just a couple hours north of here. So a lot of people are probably wondering, why is a person (laughs) from Pickens, South Carolina... 
uh, on the Drop the Disc episode. And so, why did um, he drive all the way yeah. here just to talk so, to these guys? <laughs> I'm assuming you've been in Augusta and you've worked in the in some capacity with the police. Yes, and I'm I'm sitting here with one of my mentors and heroes, <laughs> Chief Clayton, who I was always just uh, uh, a little two or three steps behind him all the time when he was making the case that was a little bigger and a little better. Uh, we were both <laughs> federal funny. agents together. He was DEA and I was ATF and uh, uh, learned a lot from him over the years. And some of my first law enforcement experiences are here in Augusta, Georgia. And I really worked around here in law enforcement in a lot of capacities for over 20 years. My family here, uh, this kind of home for us, my wife's first teaching job um, as a brand new little teacher coming out of college was at Westminster Schools here in Augusta. Oh. And um, she taught there. She's kind of legendary yeah. in, in the teaching world around here at Westminster Schools. And uh, I, I was a police officer in Chattanooga, proud graduate of the Chattanooga Police Academy. And um, 83, we moved here. I had a hard time getting a job in law enforcement. There was a lot going on politically in those days. Uh, unfortunate in, uh, time of the of the sheriff who held office then had been indicted. A lot of turmoil. Um, and the and the head of the FBI here, R. T. Smith, um, uh, took me under his wing and said, "You've been a police officer. You got a college degree, and I know some folks." And I was offered a job as a sergeant and investigator, and I couldn't find a bleeding elephant in a snowbank back <laughs> in those days as an investigator with the university police. And I had the great fortune, my first partner here was Steve Morris, uh, who's with Columbia County Sheriff's Office. He's just a, one of the finest criminal investigators you'd ever get to work with, learned so much from him. And in the, and in the 80s, what was going on that Chief can attest to uh, was the cocaine wars. I just watched the Aaron Al, uh, uh series the other night or that little movie, what was going on. The city, the country was awash with powder cocaine and chief Clayton would have been forefront of that when in his capacity. And there was really no such thing as a drug squad around here. And in the early eighties, they formed this Metro drug squad. I think, uh, Ken Autry and, uh, Jim ship. And I, I just, I could, Frank Tiller, I, I'd name these names of just some of the great legends in law enforcement around here. And I got to work with these guys as kind of a kid and I grew up here as a police officer. And I went to Columbia County Sheriff's Office when Steve Morris went out there and followed him. And um, with Otis Hensley was the sheriff then and he gave me a shot. And um, Pat was already with DEA, I think then. And mm -hmm. I had some ATF agents working a big uh, the Gentry case, mm -hmm. uh, which was a motorcycle gang case and and big cocaine, big methamphetamine. And I was offered a job with ATF, took that, and I moved to Savannah, but worked this whole area really from about uh, 1983 until 2008. I worked in law enforcement in and around Georgia and Augusta and Savannah my entire career till they shipped me off to Pensacola, Florida. Okay, so you've been around a little bit. Yeah, so my son is a deputy here Okay, uh, with the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. I have grandchildren here. This is an important Man. community to me. That's really cool to hear, especially that you have such a deep history, not only with this area, but, but with our other guest, uh, Deputy Chief Patrick Clayton here. Um, so usually when we do these episodes, what we're doing is we're getting to know people in the community. And unfortunately, we're not going to have a lot of time to really get to know you today. So maybe you'll come back sometime and we can really dive into that. But what we really wanna talk about today is 
really what's making the news. And we really kind of want to dive into more so the details of what's happening, you know, the inside of, of the response to it. And of course, we're talking about really the gun crime that's been going on recently. Um, so it's going to be a tough conversation. We're all looking forward to it. I right. love these kinds of conversations. If I'm not sweating by the end, we didn't have any fun. <laughs> um, but before we do that, I do want to talk about one case that you worked in the past that you were telling us about before the show started. And I, I believe it involved a tattoo parlor. It did. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and 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 also the impact that that case had? Because you were ta- telling us before the show and it sounds like it's incredible. What and I, it's what's kind of odd is that at the exact same time a group of us are working that case, Chief Clayton, then DEA agent Clayton is working this massive case that stretches all the way down to the Caribbean with some with customs and there's a whole movie series on that case if you ever get a chance. What's to see it that. called? What is the name? Island of Boys. Island. Who, who Boys. plays you? Um, it was never a pay interview. Before. It was more of a kind of a <laughs> documentary. Documentary. Type. Oh, really? It's a massive okay. case. So. So those of us, like I told you, I was always just a step behind the big cases <laughs> with uh, with uh, Chief Clayton doing my ATF thing. And I was just in a, one of his investigators, one of his lieutenant's office this afternoon just to say hello, Dan Carrier. Um, and he's given his heart and soul to the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. He was involved in that case. Scott Peebles, uh, Paul Godden, just some of the greats in law enforcement around here. And I don't know, somebody just had this idea that we'd, open up a tattoo parlor as some undercover deal and start targeting gang members. And, uh, and and this thing went on for about 16 months with undercover agents from all over the country coming in here of every uh, stripe or agency. And um, wow, it, it, it was very labor intensive. It was your whole life when you run. I didn't know much about running a business much less a tattoo business. Mm-hmm. Got to keep ink and some of those things. <laughs> uh, recently, a book came out called um, Storefront Sting uh, about that operation. That thing morphed into an operation in Brunswick, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. We use that as a model around the country. I did one in Pensacola, Florida. It's a great model. It's it's a technique. It's a tool. Uh, if it's not done properly, you can create crime, and that's always an issue with that. Uh, DEA's done a lot of similar operations. Uh, it was, it was a great case. It was an opportunity for me to learn from some of the best and the best. Again, like I said, uh, Dan Carrier, Scott people, some of these people around here that I've kind of been a nobody if I wasn't riding coattails seriously <laughs> of some of these folks, but it's a great case. But we, we purchased undercover over, over 700 firearms. Mm. Um, mm. and then and this is what my emphasis is around the country where I've worked is in crime gun intelligence. And it's one thing, oh, wow, we bought a bunch of guns undercover. There's a book. It's really cool. That was fun. Now, what do you do with all the intelligence? And I've got a book laying, laying here called The 13 Critical Tasks. And the emphasis of this is every gun tells a story. And I'm sure the chief could tell you a thousand times you arrest a suspect, you bring him into the interview room, you read a Miranda, and they say, I got nothing to say to you. Now, a firearm has no Fifth Amendment rights, and it tells a story. It tells a story from the inside, and it tells from the outside. Ballistics is from the inside and from the outside. That serial number is going to tell you, this is where I was born. This is who my mother and father were. This is, this is you know, it tells a whole story. So there's, again, we bought all these firearms. It's kind of meaningless if you don't reach in and get that intelligence data 
out of it and have a system to deal with all that. And um, what a lot of people don't know, uh, I'm familiar with the crime around here. Uh, Chief Clayton and I have been talking for months and months and months. And having a background in this, I've done this in numerous places around the country on violent gun crime reduction strategies. Uh, Chief reached out to me um, in terms of some of my expertise and the gifts have been given to me. And I've been looking at the numbers, looking at the trace data, looking at all this stuff, feeding the chief data and moving towards developing resources to a comprehensive crime gun intelligence strategy for Richmond County. And I, I mean, thoughts on that, Chief? Yeah, I mean, I did reach out to uh, to Randy. It's one of those things uh, we, you know, you got to collaborate with, you know, other agencies and other people. And, and I've worked with Randy for thirty plus years, and I trust everything he says. And I, you know, and I was chuckling thinking about the time uh, when I first got here. We did a undercover op. A guy we busted at a McDonald's, and we used a helicopter, and um. And we wound up catching the bad guy. Got a uh, about a kilo of coke and all that. And I get it. Wind up getting a, a call. And I was saying the only time I can remember the times with Randy, I always got in trouble because I get a call from my boss in Savannah saying, "What the hell are y'all doing? You know, <laughs> um, landing a helicopter on top of McDonald's?" Which is not exactly what happened. But I was just chuckling about that. But uh, no, I think you always have to um, uh, try to use expertise of other people, um, and we have to. This is a uh, whole, we're going to have to attack this holistically mm-hmm. from every angle. And mm-hmm. this is just another, you know, another tool in our toolbox. And so, uh, he, and he's, um, you know, um, I knew he would jump at the chance to help us. And he, um, he's been analyzing the data and um, we're still doing uh, more. And he can speak to that a lot more than I can. So if anybody in the public doesn't, it thinks that the Richmond County Sheriff's Office has been asleep at the wheel. They've not been asleep. Obviously, they respond to the crimes. They're, they've got... Cracker Jack, crime scene people, all these things. But in terms of looking like a lot of cities in the country about putting a comprehensive plan in place, mm-hmm. and then what about that kind of plan is not cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. We may end up talking about NIBE and an IBIS technology, which is microscopic technology. Basically, like you fingerprint a person, shell casings are, they kind of have like a fingerprint. Yeah, and I that technology is out there, but it is, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's political, and um, and and how, where you put it and how you use it, it really is. There's no denying that. So, I I was just over in the property room that used to be a long walk across 401. Now it's you have a much better place now. Uh, but in um, in 2001, uh, we started the tracing program in earnest at the Richmond County Sheriff's Office, Cheryl Shields sat over there with a fax machine, and we'd bring her paper, and we, we stole a fax machine. I think <laughs> statutes run on that from uh, 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 boss's office in Atlanta, put it in there. Uh, Richmond County Sheriff's Office didn't have money for a fax machine back in those days. But so that started the, the tracing. Um, every firearm that came in was being interviewed. Mm. Uh, we were tracing it and then analyzing the data. And every day in the United States of America, this... Uh, since 1968, after the gun control of 1968, firearms from around the country that are crime guns, we're not looking, we've got to be real respecters of the Second Amendment. And I know the chief feels strongly about that. This information is dumped every day uh, in, from multiple disciplines into a network that ATF manages 
And so this intel is out there that includes all of these traces. You will, an ATF agent here might know, would you be interested if, if a firearm is recovered in Mexico in a shootout with Mexican police and it was purchased in Augusta, Georgia four weeks earlier? Is that important? Yes. How did that firearm get there? How did it get to Mexico in four weeks and is now involved in a crime? Do we care? I, th- I think you should care. So there are foreign partners, and there are firearms from Augusta, Georgia, that end up in, fire- in foreign countries. Uh, it might be hyperbole to say daily, but weekly, monthly. And often. Uh, often, for sure. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with all of the, the, this intelligence? You've got to do old-fashioned police work. You've got to go knock on doors. You've got to interview people. Um, and I will say, looking at the data that uh, I've been allowed to look at with the sheriff's office, um, this was yesterday that the Richmond County Sheriff's Office this year has already recovered 595 firearms. It's a lot of firearms. They're right on track as they were last year. Um, it was about 1,300 firearms were recovered in a 12-month period. That means two things. You've either got a problem or it means you've got deputies out here doing their job. But the biggest problem in Augusta that I see and the chief and I have talked about relates to stolen firearms. And you're, you're fueling your own crimes around here. In New York City, they recover. There's very few places you can buy a firearm. They, we're a source for crime in other areas. We're a source of crime guns for our own area. And the chief and I were talking. I asked him hard, hard questions. I email chief. How many firearms were reported stolen to the Richmond County Sheriff's Office last year? Pretty high number. Then the second question is, and I'll, at the, maybe the ire of Second Amendment people, do you two own firearms? You know, I, I, we, uh, okay. we don't, but we're not. Well, I do have, I do. There I you do. go. Yeah. You do? I didn't yeah. know you did. What right. do you yeah. have? Oh, now the truth is <laughs> no, What do you no, have? We, but Chris, we just, yes. Do you know the serial number on your firearm? I do I do not. If, not, it, if, it, if no, you went home and that firearm is stolen, what would you report to the sheriff's office? My firearm was stolen. Right. And you have no serial number. Right. That's, that's a matter of somewhere between mm. nobody's business mm. and personal responsibility. I've looked at their data. Have you look at all the reports. I know you do. I, I know the kind of chief you are. When is the last time that you've seen a report of a firearm stolen out of a vehicle in Richmond County? Probably this week? Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so today, so, for reference, is Tuesday. Right. So we have <laughs> firearms <laughs> Every day. left inside vehicles. Mm-hmm. We have firearms that have no, no serial numbers. So when a firearm is reported stolen, if we don't know the serial number, we're putting everybody at risk. There's... the. The, the National Crime Information Center, this is what ties everything together. Chief talked about this, the collaborations, everyone being on the same page. We're, if we don't have that information, we can't make an NCIC entry. So this is just raw numbers that the chief and I are talking about. How many reported stolen? How many could you successfully enter into NCIC? And we want to do everything we do to to reduce that gap. Right. Can you real quick tell us yes. what NCIC is? National Crime Information Center. If Thank your you. car so is that's stolen, the online database. Like when a, a, a deputy's driving down the street and runs a tag on a car and it comes back stolen, every police officer in the United States of America and Virgin Islands, other places, stolen car, stolen washing machine, stolen lawnmower, stolen firearm. Mm. We have to have those serial numbers. And this is a problem 
is in our independency of Americans. And I won't ask the chief how many firearms he owns. I don't want ATF looking after him. But, <laughs> um, we love our independence. We don't want to have our information out there that relates to constitutional matters. We want to encourage people, write them down somewhere. Yeah, Chris is going to go home and take yeah. a picture yeah. of yeah, his. Yeah. Another thing, and I, and yeah. see, I thought I had the chief on this one. I said, when a deputy takes a report about a stolen firearm and the person doesn't know the serial number, what do you do? Mm. And they, He's already instituted. The deputy better be asking, where did you buy it? Mm-hmm. Mm. They spent countless hours going to pawn shops and gun stores trying to get this information to help these people. If we had it on the front end, they could dedicate their resources to other things. Mm -hmm. This component is big, the stolen firearms um, database in terms of NCIC. we got to reduce that gap between stolen and, and entries. We need to reduce, we we need to reduce risky behaviors. We were talking about, we tell our kids not to run by the pool. Why? Because it's risky. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the difference, unfortunately, the recent shooting at 2 o'clock in the morning. Is there? Is it riskier to be out at 2 a.m. or 2 o'clock in the afternoon? So we may disagree on that. Um, I'd say it might be risky. Leaving mm-hmm. a firearm in an unlocked or even a locked car at a mall, at a grocery store, even in your driveway, um, it's... That's risky. We see too many guns. Uh, we see too many vehicles. You know, one of our number one part crimes is is entering autos. Mm. People going into autos. Yeah, and we had talked about yeah. that in our last conversation. Yeah. I'm curious that that 500 or so number of guns that you guys have confiscated. That's so far this year. So that's about six months in. Mm-hmm. Where not that we want to get super into the numbers because we do need to start talking about kind of the bigger picture for the people of Augusta. Mm-hmm. But from that, like, is that a large number relative to what your goals are? Like, what would be your uh, ideal number for um, that? Well, that's about right on tab. Mm, it w- is w- what we did last year, and I is, will tell you that's from that's going to be from like during our operations, proactive teams, search warrants, the whole. So some uh, of those have a lot. I could look at this number and say this means the Richmond County Sheriff's Office that these deputies out there doing the Lord's work. They're out there doing their job. Sometimes they're just found on the side of the road. Sometimes they're recovered as stolen. So this is where we move to the thing. There's a raw number of 595. Now, what I get into that I was furnishing with the chief, you start looking at key indicators of problems. And in the crime gun intelligence, you talk to any ATF agent or crime gun intelligence person, they're going to say, what's your average time to crime? Time to crime, time to crime. What does that mean, time to crime? When a fire, we're talking about a legal product. When a firearm is born and it's in the little cradle, if it's gun store there looking shiny and new, and it's it's a legal product and it's adopted by someone, it's its birthday. There it goes. It's out there in the world on its own. And it should be okay. So I'm looking at time to crime. When you, so in 2022, 60 firearms are under three months. They're three months old. They're just little baby guns, right? Mm-hmm. They're just little babies. 60 firearms, three months. There's another 49 three under seven months. So you have a high number of short time to crime firearms, which again means the deputies are getting the firearms off the street, which I'm, I, that told me something as a crime gun intelligence expert. I went, you have 
straw purchasers. Straw purchasers. Straw purchasers. Straw purchasers. Straw purchasers. I, was I was sharing some data, looking at uh, some reports, some, some reports and, and won't, call I won't call names or locations, but you start looking at indicators. I and I think there's straw purchasing going on in Augusta, can you Georgia. Read, can we define that real quick? Yes. Yeah. 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 Lying and buying. It's people uh, that... They legally so if I had a fake ID a or something ID. like that, well, I t- let's say. Well, no, it's usually like going to be what we uh, on the yeah. what we see here. It's going to be girlfriends. Okay, maybe. they're going. They're going to go okay. purchase or somebody else. Uh, guns for the okay. uh, boyfriend. Okay. They can't okay. legally have a firearm. And this we is call gotcha. lying and buying. Uh, as a crime gun intelligence, I could look every maybe hyperbole again once a week, probably no, maybe every day. And a convicted felon is going to go into a gun store, let's say, in Richmond County, and they're going to try to buy a firearm. They're going to roll the dice. Let's see what happens. And the bells and whistles go off, and no one knows why. I said, I'm sorry, sir, that you've been denied the Brady Instacheck system. You're, you can't buy a firearm. And they go, oh, rats. You know, <laughs> Come back um, somewhere else maybe, another time. Yeah. Yes. So then what happens, um, and – Chief and I have talked about this. It's labor intensive. You can go, you could look at all those files. When a convicted felon attempts to buy a firearm, they fill out a form and they swear under oath that they're not a felon or whatever the other prohibited category is. That could be looked at as criminal attempt, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. And they, the Richmond County Sheriff's Office could go find that person, get an arrest warrant for that offense and arrest them. A crime gun intelligence person may say, okay, there's John Smith tried to buy a Glock 9 millimeter on this particular day. You, you go to that gun store and say, hey, they tried to buy this Glock 9 millimeter. Do you still have that gun in the store? Huh, no, matter of fact, we sold it later that afternoon. Who'd you sell it to? Oh, this person here. Oh, look, they have the same address or they're related. So then you have to get, but this takes so much time. Uh, how many people do you have in your, like, intel section that are going through your record management system? You have sort of an intel. Half a dozen. Half a dozen. This is so peculiar. They're looking at for trends in lawnmowers, entering an auto, auto theft. It takes a very specific skill set and years looking at crime gun intelligence. But then you also have to leave the intel room and have someone go to these gun stores and look at this sort of thing and start putting these pieces of this puzzle together of, you know, the 13, you know, critical tasks I hear in this book. It's so complicated and labor intensive. And, uh, and I could say, chief, why don't you do that? And the chief has told me, well, um, I need $2 million. I need six people. Let's form a gun unit. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible. Chief is juggling Intel crime scene jail uh, courts, what else do you have? CID, Robotrol. C- C- yeah, it's just you keep naming it. Uh, so Chattanooga was devastated recently in the last two weeks with a shooting with three killed, 17 wounded. And in the melee, people fleeing in cars, running over people, some of the people. Um, about five years ago, the Chattanooga Police Department, they reduced their number of people that they had in narcotics and formed a gun crime response team. Maybe that was wise. Maybe it was unwise. Worked for a while. Um, and But now the narcotics people will tell you how important narcotics work is. Right. And it is. You're, I bet you a huge number. There's narcotics search warrants. 
you're narcotics. Those, your narcotics people work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's out of the guns so that you, you've a confiscated. Lot these, a lot of these, they hit a, they'll hit yeah. a search warrant and get good, 10 good or 15 in one swoop. Um, and then who is going to look? Narcotics people are moving on to the next case and the next case. Who looks at this crime gun intelligence data? It should be your local ATF office. should be looking at this every day. Uh, don't you have people on that task force? Uh, we do. We have one guy, Daryl Orline. That's right. He, he does great, but he's on, on back on a military, military leave. So let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Let's let's say that you know gun violence is kind of the topic of discussion for right. today. So let's kind of take it for somebody that doesn't really know the processes. Like what what are people doing about it is probably the question that they're asking. So from your perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, let's answer that question before we move on. What what do we do about it? You know, what organizations might be involved? Like, what's that process? Well, I'll, um, I'll give you an example. As we've had uh, uh, two shootings mm-hmm. uh, downtown in the last uh, two weekends. Uh, obviously, first thing we did on the first one is we started dissecting what, you know, what went on with that particular shooting. And what we found was it was uh, one guy. The victim was involved um, without going into a lot of details about sure. how it went down. But there was a, the victim that got shot. He had actually been shot six months to a year, from my information, is six months to a year before that in a similar situation. The guy that actually wound up shooting him, um, he was on parole. Um, appears to be a, uh, a chronic offender um, from, from uh, what I've been told. Um, and the, we had a shooting this weekend. And um, so one of the things we did, um, because it's getting into the hot months, we really uh, dedicated a bunch of resources downtown. Last night, I had about, uh, or we had about 10 cars on Broad Street. And that's a Monday night. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, it was actually uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. And, um, you know, make a long story short is that um, we, uh, the sergeant was like, he was at 7th Street. He was like, you could almost run there. Like in you know tw- twenty seconds mm-hmm. when the sh- shooting went down, mm-hmm. but it goes as you well know it goes down so fast, and like in that situation there, uh, we had a, a group of people, um, the one groups following the other group, and I guess the uh, this again what I've been told is that without going into too much detail, is they started um, making comments to some of the girls in front of the second group, and I guess the guys in the second group said hey lay off and all that and. The, you know, guy whips out a gun and, and shoots the victim. Um, so, uh, you know, it emanated real fastly. And so, but the main things that we're doing are trying to figure out what are, because what the public wants to know is what are we doing about right, it. Right, right. And like I told you, we, we did a rapid, you know, rapidly transferred, you know, resources here to, to deal with it. Uh, but we can't be at every Enter in you know you know every foot square foot. Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. be on every block at the same time. Um, what I will tell you is, in the first shooting instance, for example, is there was videotape of that, and I watched the videotape, and you look there, and you see that, um, kind of when I see like a melee or something like that, if I'm downtown and I see there's something escalating, that's a signal for me that I don't need to be around that. I'm going the opposite direction. No, not there. We got about twenty people. That are not even really involved, but they got to go try to get right into it. And, you know, just lucky nobody else got killed. The other thing, uh, you know, that this is kind of a long-term thing, is that we have to start looking at, for these chronic predatory offenders, we have got to start looking at it for, as a society 
that they may be taken off the street. Mm. And I'll give you an example. I saw this work in my career in law enforcement. And, and, and just take uh, when we started really cracking down in the 90s, we, we cracked down on violent crime. New York City, for example, they had, they were, had 300, I mean, uh, 3,000 homicides. We started doing the uh, minimum mandatory sentencing guidelines, like if you're a predatory offender, you're going to jail. Use a gun, for mm-hmm. example, you're going to jail. And what we saw is, guess what? The homicides for like New York City went down from 3,000 to 900. The immediate things we got to do is, again, to uh, move resources and work together. I was there this morning at 10 o'clock with a group of the, the, the downtown business leaders. Uh, one of the things that we talked about was the, the food trucks. Uh, some of the food trucks, like in that particular, uh, the, um, they're almost like become like an extension of 230. Like what we're trying to do from the police perspective is we have thousands of people that are here at about 2.30 in the morning, and we're trying to push them off the streets, mm. trying to push them out off the streets, trying to push them to go ahead and go on home. You know, when you have like a food truck like that, you know, the first thing people are when they've been drinking, they get the munchies. Mm-hmm. But then they go over there, they're blaring the music, turns into an outside disco, and that's what the situation there. And I'm not saying it caused it. Mm-hmm. It's something we had to look at, look at, and that's what we talked about a lot this morning. Um, I also, um, a couple of the commissioners w- were there, and I also talked to them about, uh, we've requested a downtown a camera system that I told you all about that's been funded. Right. Uh, we're just, like, it's like a tier three project. And what I asked was that they move it up to a, a where we could get it quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been approved. All we're asking is for them to get the money, maybe reprioritize some of the other projects and to, you know, to move this up. And so that's, that's the main thrust of what we're trying to do is trying to find solutions to solve this problem. So here's a question. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people are worried about coming downtown. And, and I think that some of the crime kind of backs that up. And some of the crime also kind of doesn't because of the details of, of how it happened. So kind of a two-parter. Uh, one is is what we've seen recently in Augusta, has it been concentrated in any particular areas? And two, have you identified, so one thing we talked about, you mentioned the food trucks, we mentioned people leaving bars. Have we identified other potential sources or are those? is that kind of what we're looking at for the most part? Well, it's um, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are usually around uh, closing time. So usually, 2 to 3 a.m.? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so most of them go down around that time, or a, a good portion of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you also see uh, just, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of all the, there's not really a lot of commonalities. Um, okay. But it's usually, and what I tell people, because one of the questions somebody from the media asked me last week, they said, what do you tell people that come here from like Columbia County and Aiken County where they have the perception that it's not safe? And what I, and I'm not trying to, uh, to minimize it. Mm-hmm. But what I will tell you is that for the average person that comes down here that wants to get a drink and get a meal, it, they usually are not going to have any kind of problem. You're they're not, not doing that at 2 a.m. Right. They're yeah. not looking for trouble. Right. But we usually find the people that are involved in this, they were out and they were looking for trouble. Um, and I'm not trying to disparage victims or offenders or anything like that. I'm just telling you that that's just a, a commonality that we found um, they were people that seemed to have a history of it and seemed to be looking for trouble. That doesn't mean that's going to happen in every instance. So 
I like to skim the Facebook public opinion of what people are thinking. That's and more it, than I like to see. That's it scary. It <laughs> infuriates me, but they raise some. They they make some blanket statements that I'd like to see or hear from y'all. Is it gang related or is it just p- individuals looking for trouble? It's both. Okay. Um, you we see shootings. There was another shooting. On the weekend, on the, the first one we talked about that was downtown, there was one over on Grand Boulevard that we think may be gang-related. Um, we know that um, some of the murders in Augusta are gang-related. The ones that we see downtown most frequently, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion, in the 10 years I've been here, have been where there are situations that escalate and get out of hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, you know, one of the things I always, um, the, the public always says, well, what, what can we do? Well, the first thing you can do is, you know, I told you about all the people running when they're having that fight the other night. Not a one of them called, called the 911 and called mm. the police until after wow. shots were fired and the guy's laying on the gr- ground taking his last gas. Mm. And so people, for one thing, when they see situations escalating, for God's sakes, don't get involved. But the first thing you do is you get on the horn and call 911 and at least get us on the way. Yes. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that the public can really do to help us and to help themselves, don't get involved in it. If you see that, that's danger. That's an indication to leave. But the, the uh, point, real point I'm trying to make is most of them seem to be where they wind up, they're people heavily drinking, they get into confrontations, and it escalates out of control. Yeah, I'm, just on the national, I, you know, there's, I'm looking at April and May, Springfield, Ohio, Tarpon Springs, Florida. Lafayette, Louisiana, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson, Tennessee, Laurel, Mississippi, New Orleans, Best Friend, Alabama, Chicago. These are what are called, referred to as mass shootings where multiple people, four, six, 12, four, the multiple people shot. Mm-hmm. Chattanooga just went through this. Mm-hmm. Um, we see an up, I'm not blaming the weather. We're not blaming alcohol. Um, certain you know, risky behavior like alcohol, late nights. But I think it's not uncommon to see, and most cops will tell you, we joke about full moons and all that, but when you have increased temperatures, you're going to have some violent crime. People are out and about. We're in a post-COVID. People want to be out. They're dying to be out there. And so great crowds now, which could be great things. This was happening, and lots of people were out celebrating Juneteenth. Fantastic. This is not isolated to Augusta, Georgia. Uh, but what I do know is that, you know, you asked the chief about their response. Mm-hmm. And I know their crime scene people and how good they are. Their camera systems, their license plate readers, all they have all these resources. Um, but the only thing is to really have a comprehensive crime gun strategy to jump into the future, it would cost the sheriff's office a lot of, in terms of, full-time positions mm-hmm. and now what we can do and the chief and I have talked about it's like I would love to come in and with all of his intel people that are going through and what is your records management system is it smart cop or what do you use it's a new world new world I, I we had this in Pensacola we had it was the murder capital of the south Pensacola what are we going to do about it we formed a gun crime response team if you don't have a good records management system, and I don't know how long you, I think that is a good one. I asked the uh, the chief of police in Pensacola how many how many firearms were recovered last year, and I go into their system, twelve. What do you mean twelve? I'm looking at your trace data; it was hundreds. 
well, something's wrong. It says 12. So every time a, a police officer would enter, sometimes it's a gun. Sometimes it's a firearm. Sometimes it's a handgun, pistol, revolver, mm. shotgun. They had a horrible records management system. I think Richmond County is, you could, they've got the Intel resources and RMS, as we call it, records management system, to really look at these things. But I'll go back to this thing. This is not unique to Augusta, Georgia right now. I think that's very important information to put out there right now because right now Augustans are thinking it's just happening to us um, on a large, larger scale than what we're used to. We're a small-minded, big town. And as much as you should, it should be unacceptable here. It's unacceptable everywhere. I feel very comfortable right now. If my wife called me, she's coming to Augusta to visit grandchildren. It's 2 a.m. and she wants to go snap her picture with the James Brown statue. statue. Go on down there. It's, I I feel pretty safe around here. Mm. Well, you know, and I, one of the things I told you last time is we benchmark with other agencies. I told you about Bibb County and, mm-hmm. and Columbus mm-hmm. at the end of the last year. I told you we, we were at, uh, I think, 33 homicides. Mm-hmm. Bibb County was at uh, 55. And wow. in Columbus, Muskogee was um, 70. So kind of gives, and this is going on in urban cities throughout the United States. We've seen a surge in gun crime. We hear a lot in the media. Obviously, the media is being reactive to what's going on. Mm-hmm. How can we be proactive? Well, like I said, um, this weekend, um, we... Um, like I told you, every time that we, instead of just responding to a situation and, you know, like last weekend, they caught the bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, um, he's immediately put in jail. So and, that's, uh, that's a quick, quick tangent thought, actually. Like when, when this happens, how often is it that that person is caught like within the first day or so? It's uh, most of the homicides are not whodunits. Uh, they're usually within, within 24 to 48 hours. Okay. Sorry about that. I was, I no, just, uh, no, that's, yeah. uh, that's a good, valid question. As far as with the people, I've told you different ways they can help themselves. Right. Um, I call can't the police, tell you, stay away from yeah, the crowds. You know, um, uh, when they see things escalate and call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, from our standpoint is, again, looking at each one of the situations. You know, what I do is I look at uh, was this potentially, was this um, shooting, was this murder, was it, could, was it preventable? Mm-hmm. Or was it predictable that it was that it was it could occur? If it's predictable, then it's preventable. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them aren't. Some mm-hmm. of them are, aren't predictable, and we try to learn off of that. We also have to. We have a lot of different resources, and we have to move them. And like right now, with the hot months of the summer, we know that's going to be it's going to be rough going downtown. And um, you have large amounts of groups of people coming out like that. Thousands of people coming out when all the bars close. Um, you get a lot of people together. They've been drinking like that. It causes problems. That's why we did. Uh, we're going to continue to do that with our resources. I think the um, the other thing that we're really emphasizing with the deputies too is you've got to get out of the cars and get on the street. You're going to have a much more uh, uh, better sense of what's going to out on out on the street if you're out there walking around mm-hmm. amongst the people. And so I think uh, you'll see that even more this. Uh, next weekend, and we'll continue uh, to do, do those kind of things to um, try to make the uh, people that are coming downtown to feel safer. And I okay. would say that well, it seems cliche is that responsible gun ownership. What does that mean? Some people make light of that, you know, and say, you know, gun control or responsible gun ownership is, you know, hitting your target. 
that's a little, you know, I, I get that sentiment also. I wish people would not leave their farms. And I've remembered at two o'clock in the morning, oh no, I've left a farm in a car and I get up, and I, I'm like in a cold sweat. Don't leave farms and cars. I know it may be your right to do that, but if you knew the numbers and the risk that you're taking, these people are not, they're just breaking in cars. It's, well, you know, um, look at Santa Claus done gave me. Now I have a pistol and they move it into the illegal market. There's a lot, a lot of juvenile crime with, with car break-ins and responsible gun ownership. Lock them up in your house. Don't leave them in the car. If a Richmond County deputy left their duty weapon in a vehicle and it was stolen, they'd be in trouble, wouldn't they? Would they mm-hmm. get some days off? We don't have the same corollary. Some states have done this. If you leave a firearm in a car, it's like like reckless conduct. You can't do that. If you leave it unattended, like leaving a dog, you know, we get pretty, you know, people, if they see you go to the shopping mall and there's a little dog locked in a car in the hot summer months, 911 is burning up, Okay see something, say something. People are less responsive to some of these other things that they need to call law enforcement. Get a good sheriff's office here. They're going to be responsive. Know your serial numbers, Chris Napple. Let's go home and write it down <laughs> yes. and record it and put it somewhere. So hopefully it's never stolen. And yes. I say that to everyone. These deputies, it's just it sucks the life out, out of them to take call after call. It's like, what do you expect us to do now? You don't even know your serial, serial number. <laughs> and they want to help. They want to look out and protect innocent people. And But that's the other thing. When a, a deputy pulls a car over and they run that serial number on the gun, they know in their heart sometimes it's stolen. They know something's wrong. They have to follow the law. They have to let that firearm go on. And that's, that's frustrating to them. That's a morale issue. Even mm-hmm. they, these young men and women, they want to catch bad guys and solve crime and help people. So help them. this is kind of going to the national level. And I just want to talk about, ask y'all this question because you see it in the mainstream media and you see people talking about it that don't really have the occupancy that y'all have or the history and background. And I want to thank that we have not, had a mass school shooting yet that we haven't had a mass grocery store shooting yet but it's going on that's still a hot thing going on and I I don't want to do a disservice to some of our listeners that believe this and I want to ask y'all what is y'all's take on a universal background check because y'all have that maybe not your opinion but maybe from your perspective and your job that you have what what does a universal background mean for America to have that? And I know it's totally outside of Augusta, but it is Augusta's part of America. And there well, are I'd love people the chief here. to answer that one first, maybe. Uh, well, um, well, let me just say this. I think that um, for the mass shootings that have occurred, I don't know. I do think we need to come up with common sense things um, as far as to deal with the uh, mass shooting type of thing. But I don't think that most of the things that have been proposed would have actually prevented the particular most of the, the mass shootings that I've seen. Mm. Uh, the one thing I, I do think warrants being looked at is potentially the red flag laws, for example. And I, and, and this is more because you, most of that stuff is going to be done by the legislature. Right. And we just, we enforce it. Right. And, um, um, but I do think there is something about that, especially with people, but you have to have due process mm-hmm. and you have to, uh, to so be able to. So real quick, red flag laws, for those that don't know, give us like a 10 second. It's basically where um, it targets people that have uh, mental issues that we all know who they are and things like that. And, and you can confiscate a weapon if something happens. Yes, but you have to do it. It has to be done with 
you know, the only way I would advocate for that would be if, the, if there's a great due process mechanism in for that. Because okay. there are people that um, they, some of these people that we've seen mm-hmm. in active shootings, they, they shouldn't be carrying, they shouldn't be able to get, get firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the debate comes in. We have a lot of young men and women from World War II to Vietnam to the current wars that have PTSD and they go to the VA and they've got mental health issues. And you got to think about that summarily stopping these young men and women who've put their lives on the line, raise a hand and take an oath for this country that we're going to somehow now you're not well enough to own, use, carry, possess a firearm. These are broad, broad issues. The, um, the red flag laws or the universal background check to say, wow, okay, let's get all this in place. And it works. The Brady Insta check works. So we have thousands of people a day that will walk in and commit a crime, criminal attempt, possession of firearm by a convicted felon, or they lied on a federal form. Mm-hmm. Uh, people go to federal prison for lying to the FBI or lying on a federal form. What are we doing with all those crimes? Somewhere between big fat zero and they just, it's, you know, dust in a file drawer. I think if we prosecuted, we don't need to prosecute someone who 25 years ago had a felony marijuana conviction when some of those marijuana laws were onerous. But if you're on active probation or parole, had a violent drug or a violent crime in the past four or five years, and you try to buy a firearm, those people should be prosecuted. I think that that would show not only do, do background checks work, they're already working. They're prohibiting people. But why aren't we it's Expanding a crime it, to yeah. do what they have done? Mm. And the chief and I talked about that. I've done this. Uh, we did this in Pensacola where uh, we would spend two months finding every one of those, develop a criteria for, the, for prosecutors. Again, we don't want to prosecute some guy who's 25 years ago had something and now he's just buying a 22 rifle to teach his 10-year-old son how to plank. It's not what we need to be doing. Set some criteria, go out, and we would do this once a year, um, and, and it really had an impact in the community to do that. Um, but it's labor intensive. Where's the Richmond County Sheriff's Office going to get these people? Right. I will tell you, and he will tell you as a chief executive, how many, how fewer people apply for the job of police officer. <laughs> and then the ones that, that can pass all of the, uh, the backgrounds and mm-hmm. all to do that. It's tough business, uh, to be a law enforcement executive. I, I'm in a little teeny tiny town. I've got it made. I cannot imagine what, what chief Clayton goes through every day compared to what I go through. Um, it's grueling. I will. I think that universal background checks, Chris could be effective, but we're dealing with a constitutional issue, um, that expect a lot of backlash. What business is it of the government to know? And people draw the corollary between, well, I got a driver's license, my car's registered, my VIN on my car, all of this. I don't find any of that language about, you know, tags and cars and all that in the Constitution. Right. Well, you voted today, I see. I'm glad you did. Um, anybody obstruct you from voting today? No. What that would have what if they did? Right. That would shock the conscience if you were stopped. And that's why we've got voting laws that people have access to the polls. When you start talking about regulating what magazines or um, newspapers you can get or what podcasts you can listen to. This is, you got to be very serious minded about second amendment. You should be thankful. You've got elected officials, sheriffs, chief deputies around here 
that are Second Amendment conscious that are not going to just glibly say, yes, I believe in universal backgrounds. They got to say, I think I do. Let's talk about this. We got to be so careful. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I, yes. They're already working. Chief, comment? I, yeah, I, I just want to comment, and I think uh, Randy agrees with me on this, is that uh, we got to be targeting the people that are carrying the guns, the chronic predatory offenders that are getting caught over and over again. And if, if you're a convicted felon, you get caught with a gun, my opinion is you should go to jail if you're and it should be for a, a, a period of time. If you commit a crime with the commission of a gun, you should go to get jail. If you're a, a chronic offender, you should go to jail. Um, that's what, where we seem to see the people that are causing us the most problems. Mm. And I, I really think if we'll focus on that as a society, we're going to be in a lot better better place um, than trying to um, – the gun, there's already – there's more gun. There's enough guns here that probably at least – a couple of people could ha- um, uh, each could have a gun in the United States. I'm, yeah. I'm literally yeah. we have 300 yeah. about 300 million people, and I think we probably have about uh, 500 yeah. million there's, there's guns. Enough for all of us. Yes, <laughs> and um and so I don't think I think you really got to look at the people that are carrying the guns and use the laws that we have. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to have discussions about do we need more legislation, but if we're not already enforcing what is already out there like on these ones that attempt or these predators and some of, and, but the court system is backlogged too. We, we're not going to arrest ourselves out of this. We need funding in the proper areas. And, uh, I think we're going to be doing some training to look at crime gun intelligence to keep Augusta safe. Again, grandchildren are here. Want them safe. Mm-hmm. Not, don't care so much about you, Chris. You're, <coughs> but, uh, not want you to keep voting. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So really, we could we could go into theory on this, and we could sit here oh, yeah. for another two hours if oh, we yeah. really wanted to. Absolutely. But we're not going to yeah. put people through that. That yeah. is not why they listen to our show. <laughs> there are smarter people talking about that than me and Chris. And I kind of want to simplify some of what you guys just said too. Um, you know, talking about how there are you know right now, if you buy a gun in Augusta, if I'm not incorrect here, you do go through a background mm-hmm. check. You do. Absolutely. That that does verify that you uh, can or can't, it shows your history. Well, that, and so what Chris is talking about universal backgrounds, if I went on arms list Augusta right now, mm-hmm. perfectly legal, you can, there's gun sales that are happening in every parking lot around here every evening, whether it's gunbroker.com, arms list, mm-hmm. different periodicals. There are a lot of private sales and that's the, there should pri- it's not, do we believe in universal background? The bigger question is, do you believe that Americans should have the right to make private firearm sales amongst themselves? We had convicted felons who their only form of identification was their prison ID card, and they would buy guns from these unlicensed dealers and, and get, hey, I just want to be honest with you. I'm a convicted felon. I just got out of prison. Is that okay? Most people would say, not only is that not okay, but I'm going to get your tag number. I'm calling 911 because you're a convicted felon. 50% of the time, I could care less. I'll sell you a firearm. Screw the government. <laughs> Make some money. Right. And it's all, that's conscience. Right. Um, and we prosecuted those people. Some people, that's, ah, you know, targeting. Um, that's kind of an integrity test. Um, but you've got to be doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. You don't go targeting. Right. I, I, like, even Holistic. that word. It's comprehensive. It's holistic from time to time. 
you do take a deep dive. So they've got an internal affairs division that looks into things. From time to time, you see what's going on at the gun shows. You see what's going on. And um, I like that I can buy and sell firearms. Um, right now, I live in South Carolina. I cannot buy a firearm and give it to my son as a gift. That, that's against federal firearms laws because he lives in another state. Um, there's are complicated laws. Universal mm-hmm. background. You can talk to probably 10 people and nine of them would agree with the word terminology, universal background, but discussion needs to happen. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because the people making these decisions aren't holding positions like yourselves. And so it's always good to have that insight mm-hmm. and educate people about what universal background entails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like one of the biggest things facing us right now is probably needing more people to help you out, right? Oh, we, uh, we've got openings. <laughs> so actually, so, since you're real quick, if someone feels like they really want to be under, in your department, in your office, in law how, enforcement, in Augusta, how would, yeah. how would people, where do people need to go online or is there a place that to start yeah, the process. They can go to AugustaGA.gov or they can go on the Augusta, Georgia website and it'll basically take them through the system. They can call uh, call me at the office at 821-1066 and I'll send them the right way as uh, well. We're always looking for uh, you know good good applicants, good people that want to make a difference. Thank you. In their community. Thank you. And let's leave on a positive note. Yes. We ask every guest on this show our drop the disc question. The whole ethos of this show is talking about how Augusta is awesome and the cool things going on. Even though there are some negative things going mm-hmm. on, we like to bring light to it. And so um, the question is simple. If someone were to walk up to you and diss the city of Augusta, um, what would you say to them? And we've asked you already, mm-hmm. sh- who should we ask first? Randy Beach. That's right. I'll just fight him. <laughs> no. Let me tell you, and I mentioned a lot it's so relational for me uh, sitting here with Pat Clayton is a big deal for me. Right. Um, and, and his career, if you delve into his career, amazing. Um, I think of Mark Wells, Greg Marr. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard Vince Eubanks might finally be retiring. He's been mm-hmm. with the Richmond County Sheriff's office 142 years. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's an amazing law man. As, as a police officer, I I've got this list of names in my head of these people that, that, and Cecil Ridley, um, who we lost and, um, and so many, I, I tell you, um, it's part of Augusta is part of my history as a human being, um, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of, uh, my personal life and, and in churches and, and my wife's first job, I'm so tied to Augusta, very defensive. This place is fabulous. Uh, I'm glad my my grandchildren are here growing up, and um, there's so much to offer and so much potential. And, and I, when I say potential, it's not that it's not already there. Um, I'll, I'll fight you for Augusta. Yeah, great place. <laughs> a pick in South Carolina is pretty nice too. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to answer it again? Um, I would just say that you know uh, there's a lot going on in Augusta that's um, going great. And, you know, and what I would say is um, for the people that are naysayers is why don't you join us and make Augusta even better? Mm. Land of opportunity. 
Thank you guys so much. This was not our average episode. It, we're a little over our depth here, but uh, we really enjoyed that both of you guys came. Thank you uh, for helping us kind of really with this educate people. Right, right. And Randy, if anybody goes to Pickens, South Carolina, don't they need to see some band that you're in? <laughs> oh, yeah. Back the Bluegrass Band. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you're from Augusta and you get pulled over for speeding or anything in Pickens, if you're going up to the mountains of North Carolina, cashiers or something, tell them you know me and you'll be you'll be let free wow <laughs> so for those that listen to the end this episode has a lot of value yeah oh, yep. <laughs> y'all take it easy uh, thank okay. you thank you